Welcome to this week's podcast from Faith Christian Church. For more details, check out faithcc.com.au. We hope you enjoy this message. Ah, thank you, thank you. You may be seated. I need a doctor. <coughs> Friday afternoon, just suddenly the voice got croaky. But if you listen really well, we'll get through. I had a funny story to tell, but I'm not going to waste a single word on stuff that isn't right in the middle of what we need to talk about. So why don't we just get straight into it tonight? One of the toughest times in our family was a time when my youngest son got caught up uh, smoking marijuana and uh, it immediately impacted his uh, thinking. We struggled with it for a couple of years and then one day he packed his bags at the age of 15 and left home. It was one of the toughest times in our life. Brightest child and he was burning down his life. Two years into that, Rodney Howard Brown came to town and my daughter was one of the platform worship leaders. I phoned up my boy and I said, Sammy, you ought to come down and see this. It's just extraordinary. How many people actually was there at Rodney Howard Brown when he, not many of you, it was extraordinary. He was only there 15 minutes, his hands were in the air, tears were running down his face. And then he sat with us on the very front row of the Melbourne Entertainment Centre, 6,000 people. And at one point, Rodney wanted to pray for the pastors and the front 10 rows were all pastors, so we were out in the aisles. And here's a little teenager sitting all by himself with 10 empty rows around him and one of the visiting ministry from the United States spotted my boy, went down and sat with him and talked with him, prayed with him. He spent an hour and a half on the carpet. And over the next few days, he just began to move his stuff home. And I woke up one morning and my boy was back home again. And we had survived our crisis. Now he's married with four of his own kids and discovering that children are God's ways of showing you what you once did to your parents. <laughs> <coughs> I cannot tell you how grateful I am that a visiting ministry would spot that boy, sit with him and pray with him and change his life. What always puzzled me was that I heard a little while later that that same guy who had had such an impact on our family was no longer in ministry. And I had no idea what the backstory of that might be until a story came out in the, um, what am I reading here? I'm reading Charisma magazine. I won't mention his name because that's not the point. What was the backstory that saw a man who changed our family's life get knocked out of ministry? After the tragic death of his daughter, this minister's world spiraled down into the darkest place you could imagine. The co-founder of Without Walls turned his back on God for not healing his daughter of a brain tumour, as well as other life crises. He became addicted to prescription drugs and eventually attempted suicide. From the bottom, he had nowhere else to look but up. He sought professional help, pulled himself out of his spiritual depression by the grace of God, and now is returning as Bishop of Without Walls and sharing his testimony in a book entitled, Only God Knows Why. He's sharing his personal testimony of God's restoration 
at the church's anniversary. He said, I'm so thrilled to be back. God has done wonderful work in my life. He is the God of restoration. And that's in fact the case. But why, why, why the problem? Because he went through a moment where he just couldn't understand what was happening in his life. And it was so distressing, it nearly destroyed his soul. One of the greatest challenges we face are those moments in life where God is not comprehensible. We feel like we just can't understand what he's doing or what he hasn't done. And it breaks our heart. And those moments are so serious. I want to talk to you tonight about surviving the moments when you have a complaint against God. A few years ago, a film came through um, Melbourne called uh, Billy, the Early Years. It was about the life of Billy Graham. Um, it covered a very interesting period of Billy's life. How many people have never heard of Billy Graham? Put your hand up, you've never heard of him. There's quite a few haven't. But when I was a child, Billy Graham came to Melbourne. It was the largest meeting ever held in this city with 140,000 people packed into the MCG, all out over the Oval and everything, as Billy Graham preached the gospel and Melburnians were coming to Jesus under the ministry of an American evangelist, Billy Graham. During the 1940s, Billy Graham had a partner. Um, his name was Charles Templeton. Charles, during the 1930s, had been a hopeless alcoholic. He had an encounter with Jesus. It so transformed his life, he became a, an evangelist. And during the 1940s, Billy Graham and Charles Templeton used to share the pulpit together, and they used to do combined crusades. Then Charles Templeton began, began to struggle. The, the first thing was the problem he had with evolution. He felt that evolution, if it was true, um, made the Bible unbelievable. And he became an evolutionist. And it was um, the experience that he then had of seeing a picture on the front of the Time magazine of a, an African woman holding a dying child in an Ethiopian famine. And it so distressed him, he got so angry, he said, who makes it rain except for you, God? And I, I can't, I can no longer believe, people could die in famine, I can't believe in you any longer. And out of that, he and Billy Graham came to a crisis moment, and Charles Templeton talks about why he went in one direction and Billy Graham went in another direction. He wrote in a book called Farewell to God, because Charles became a very rampant atheist. He wrote many books against the gospel after having partnered with Billy Graham as an evangelist. How did that happen? <clears throat> well, this is what he wrote in his book. All our differences came to a head in a discussion which better than anything I know explains Billy Graham and his success as an evangelist. In the course of our conversation, I said, but Billy, it's simply not possible any longer to believe the Bible account of creation. The world was not created over a period of days. It evolved over millions of years. It's not a matter of speculation. It's a demonstrable fact. I don't accept that, Billy said. And there are reputable scholars who don't. Well, who are these scholars, I said? Men in conservative Christian colleges? Well, most of them, yes, he said. But that's not the point. 
I believe the Genesis account of creation because it's in the Bible. I've discovered something in my ministry. When I take the Bible literally, when I proclaim it as the Word of God, my preaching has power. When I stand on the platform and say, God says, or the Bible says, the Holy Spirit uses me, there are results. Wiser men than you or I have been arguing questions like this for centuries. I don't have the time or the intellect to examine all sides of the theological dispute, so I've decided once and for all to stop questioning and accept the Bible as God's Word. Billy Graham would later talk about a single night of prayer in which he wrestled with the question as to whether he would believe the Bible or not. And he said, that night I just made a decision. I made a decision I would uh, believe the Scriptures. Changed his entire life. Charles Templeton made a very different decision. But Billy, I protested, you can't do that. You don't dare stop thinking about the most important question in life. Do it and you begin to die. It's intellectual suicide. I don't know about anyone else, he said, but I've decided that's the path for me. And Billy Graham and Charles Templeton went down totally different roads. Years later, um, when he was interviewed... Uh, by Lee Strobel in his book, The Case for Faith. And if you want to read a great book on faith, um, Lee Strobel talks about this interview he had with um, Charles Templeton when he was in his final year or so of life and he was dying of Alzheimer's disease. And he sat and talked with him about how did he lose his faith? What was it all about? And that's where he went back to that one picture. He said, I got so offended. I got so angry at God. I said, I can't believe in you anymore. He, toward the end of his interview, Lee Strobel asked him a question. He said, what do you think about Jesus? He said, at that moment, it's extraordinary. He began to cry. And with his shoulders shuddering from weeping, he said, I miss him. Well, I'll bet you do. Because you encountered him. He touched your life but you ran into a complaint and you didn't know how to resolve your complaint. Now it's destroyed your relationship with God. We have to learn how to get past our complaints because complaints against God have the ability to destroy your work with God. And tonight I want to take you to the Bible and just take a few moments. If you want a healthy soul, you have to get through the moments of your complaint. One of the great things about the Bible is that you'd think the Bible wouldn't want anybody talking about this. Oh, God, how dare you come to faith church, talk about complaints against God. How disgraceful. Well, the Bible has never been, had a problem with discussing complaints against God. There are whole books of the Bible that are complaints against God. The book of Job is an extended complaint. The book of Habakkuk is one prophet's complaint against God. But tonight I want to talk to you about a psalm of complaint. Psalm 73. Listen to what the Bible says. Surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost slipped. I had nearly lost my foothold. Well, what's your problem, mate? For I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. I got angry with God. Um, complaints against God is a, is a very serious issue for every follower of Jesus because it's not possible to live 
this life without coming against moments where you just will not understand. It won't make sense to you. It won't, it won't seem right. Um, the fact is that complaints against God is a chief plank in militant atheism. And a lot of movies now carry these themes quite regularly. I'll tell you, one movie, if you want to go and see a movie that is almost like an extended complaint against God, uh, The Grey with Liam Neeson. Uh, you take out that movie and have a look at it. Don't yell at me if there's some swear words in it. <laughs> but it's about a hunter in Alaska shooting wolves. And a plane goes down and these men who are trying to escape are being followed by a pack of wolves. But every time they stop and talk, every discussion is filled with theology. Does God listen? Does prayer make any difference? Does it matter if you believe or don't believe? It's that the entire film is just an extended discussion of theology in the middle of a life crisis. And as a result, God knows that you need, to, you need the skill of how to handle these moments. Because if you don't have that skill, there'll be moments that will have the ability to take you out of the race. And right here in this book, in this psalm, here is one Bible writer saying, I nearly lost it. Well, what's your problem? Well, I got angry at God. He said, I, I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. What's his complaint? How can a, how can a righteous God, a, a moral God, be okay with immoral people prospering? How come immoral people do better than moral people? I mean, I often ask that question. I mean, you, you see people who want to raise some money to do some good. Um, they have trouble finding money. You want to build a casino, money will be pouring out of the heavens. To be, you won't be able to contain the amount of money that will come to build another casino and ruin some people's lives. It's amazing what, what money is available for in this world. And it's amazing what money isn't available for in this world. You watch Teen Challenge and other places scratching a few, trying to scratch things together trying to save people's lives, but if you want to destroy people's lives, money comes from everywhere. One of the challenges we face is the moment you start struggling with a complaint against God, it shows up in the way you view life. See, the reality is this. Complaints come because of our struggle with our theology. Um, sometimes it would be easier to be a Baptist if you're here today and you're a Baptist, God bless you. <laughs> the problem is when you believe God can do stuff. The problem is when you believe God wants to do stuff. Now you're in trouble. Because if you believe that, well, God, has, He loves us, but He's expecting us to tough it out in life, to kind of fight a good fight and finish the course and run your race, and at the end of it all, He'll then say, well, well good on you, well done. But when you believe in the power of God, then now you've got a problem. Because the reality is that God often allows in his wisdom what he could easily address it with his power, but he, he doesn't do it. It doesn't happen. The reality is this, that if you're a, you believe in a moral God and a powerful God and an involved God, suddenly you're facing a crisis. Because there'll be moments when it just doesn't seem right that stuff didn't happen. Or it wasn't right that stuff did happen. And here a writer in the Bible is sharing with us his complaint, and I've got to ask you a question, what's yours? What's yours? You got one? We might ferret it out before the end of the night. 
You say, I haven't got a complaint against God. Well, hang around for 10 minutes. You'll get one. (laughs) There'll be a moment when you'll find one. And in that moment, you need to know how to handle it. Um, The fact is we hold God responsible. It comes out of our mouth when, when we say that he can do all things. When it comes out of our mouth when we say, Um, why would God allow? Because we know he has the power. We believe he has the heart. And the question is, well, why don't you do more? Do more. Because uh, people need your help. Sometimes it just doesn't seem right that there's not an intervention from up uh, on high. And here is a guy struggling with the fact that it just doesn't seem right that people who love God and walk with God find life tougher than people who don't. Now he begins to unfold it. It begins to affect the, the way you think. He goes on, he says, they have no struggles. Well, that's remarkable. I didn't know the mafia were doing quite that well. Their bodies are healthy and strong. Oh, really? No one gets cancer if they're in the mafia. Whew. Didn't know that. They are free from common human burdens. Oh, come on, mate. See, this is what happens when you start feeling unhappy with God. Everything you, you view, you view through glasses. You through, it changes the color of what you see. And now you start seeing things in a skewed way. It is simply not true to say they are free from common burdens. They are not plagued by human ills. No, that's not true. They have trouble with their marriages. They have trouble with their kids. They have trouble with all kinds of stuff. Uh, He goes on, therefore pride is their necklace. Well, that can be true. They clothe themselves with violence. That's all all too often true. From their callous hearts comes iniquity. Their evil imaginations have no limits. They scoff and speak with malice. With arrogance, they threaten oppression. Their mouths lay claim to heaven and their tongues take possession of the earth. They're big talkers. I'm stunned at who manages to get a microphone in in this world. Give a, give a microphone to a good preacher, for goodness sake. No, you, the, the amount of time on um, the media, the amount of time on TV, on the, the, take that microphone off that dude. Big mouth, talking, yabbering away things that are destructive and unhelpful for people's lives. Take the microphone away. He says their mouths lay claim to heaven. Therefore, people turn to them and drink up waters in abundance. People take them seriously. They influence the way people think. Whole communities are being influenced by the wrong people. It gets you angry sometimes. They say, how would God know? Does the Most High know anything? This is what the wicked are like, always free of care. They go on amassing wealth. Well, some of that's true. Some of it's jaundiced. It's viewed through colored glasses. But here's his struggle. He starts to see life through that lens. And the fact is that it'll have all kinds of impacts on your heart. You start dismissing the value of worship and prayer. Listen to what he says. Surely in vain I have kept my heart pure. What's the point of having faith? What's the point of worship? What's the point of reading your Bible and and taking time in prayer? Because these these other people seem to be doing better than we are. Surely in vain I've kept my heart pure and I've washed my hands in innocence. All day long I've been afflicted and every morning brings new punishments. I feel like life is a huge struggle and my faith is part of the struggle. I feel hurt about the way the world unfolds. 
Bible also says that it'll do other stuff to you. Verse 21, he says, When my heart was grieved and my spirit was embittered, I was senseless and ignorant. I was a brute beast before you. You don't think straight when you're angry with God. You, you start to lose your perspective. And you can even start thinking like a dumb ox because you've lost touch with the grace and the presence of God. Fact is, I've been through some of those experiences. Probably my, my, my first and most important encounter with this was way back when I was a teacher at the age of 27. I burst a disc playing cricket. Shortest bowling spell in history. <laughs> I had one ball from the southern end opening the bowling for Wonga Park and burst a disc. And um, that was it. <clears throat> All tilted over. And eventually, a year later or so, I ended up in hospital. And uh, the doctors came to me and said, we, we have to do an operation on you. You've got to do a laminectomy on your back. Now, I'd been re lying there in the, in, in, um, the hospital, currently going through a revival in our high school. All the kids knew Big Al is in hospital. And I'm thinking, God, I, I, I see a great plan here. Here we are preaching the gospel, winning kids for Jesus, leading them to Christ half a dozen a day in the back of the typing room. And suddenly I am laid low. And the whole school knows Big Al's laying on his back in Austin Hospital. And as I'm lying there believing God and praying for a miracle, I come across a passage in the Bible, Psalm 34, that says to me, not a bone of my body shall be broken. Well, it was about Jesus, but I thought that could be about me too. <clears throat> Doctor came in and said, Al, we're going to do a laminectomy. He said, let me explain what it is. We have to take a bit of bone off your spine to get at that disc. And I thought, oh, this is proof that um, God's going to do a miracle because he says not a bone of my body will be broken. And I'm believing God for a miracle. And I could see it all. I could see me, an angel coming in, rubbing my back in the night. I could see instantaneous life springing into my disc. I bound out. I come back to school in radiant glory. I could see myself standing at the, the Monday assembly with a thousand kids sitting in front of me saying, an angel came and rubbed my back. The power, I could, teachers falling on the floor, kids repenting in, in mass encounters with Jesus. Revival breaks out in Melbourne, runs right across Australia, jumps the Pacific into the USA, the entire world. I could see it all. The possibilities. It was wonderful. Night before my operation, doctor came in to see me and told me how it was all going to go. And I thought, oh, that's what you think, pal. Angels coming in the night. I could hardly sleep that night. I wonder if he'll come in. I wonder if he'll have a white thing on, you know. Will he look like an intern or will he just look like a uh, fair income angel? Well, no, no angel turned up in the night. They were wheeling me down to surgery, and I thought, oh, you know, they'll get down there, and they'll check me over and say, it's a miracle. He doesn't need operation. When I woke up after the operation, and I realized that none of my expectations had been fulfilled, I cannot tell you how disappointed I was with God. You could have done it. You blew it. Revival for the entire Western world was hanging on there. <laughs> It, it was so disappointing, I couldn't read my Bible for six months. 
See, I, I know what it's like to have an expectation and not to have it fulfilled. Bible says hope deferred makes the heart sick. And I developed an expectation. It would have been easier just to be a Lutheran, just not have any expectation. <laughs> just have the, have the operation and go home and say, oh, well, praise God. But when you've got expectation, now, now life gets more challenging. And the reality is that just like the Bible says here, Bible says, when my heart was grieved and my spirit was embittered, I was senseless and ignorant. I was so hurt. I, I came home from hospital, I just couldn't read my Bible anymore. I said, well, what's the point? I thought I heard from God in Psalm 34. I thought not a bone of my body's going to be broken. And I was really grieved at what I felt like God just dropped the ball, didn't show up. It's important at these moments to have some kind of um, bottom line to your faith. Because see, in some ways, faith can be like a ladder. You can be up there. And sometimes you're not going so well, you're backing down the ladder. It's just not such a high experience. Very important, don't get off. You know, there's got to be a bottom rung to your ladder somewhere where you just decide you're not getting off. You know, I may not be up where I was, but I'm not getting off the ladder. And that's exactly what this dude um, here in this psalm had. He had a bottom rung to his ladder. Listen to what he says here in verse 15. He says, All day long I've been afflicted, and every morning brings new punishments. But if I had spoken out like that, I would have betrayed your children. He said, uh, I may be miserable, and I might be angry with God and upset, and I don't understand it, but I am not getting off my ladder, and I'm not going to damage the faith of the generation that I'm serving. And that's exactly what stopped me from getting off that ladder. You see, I'd been involved in a revival in the school and it was centered around my home on a Friday night. I preach in my home every Friday night. hundred kids would turn up. Funny thing is the kids didn't know I'd gone through a crisis with my back. They thought I'd just gone to hospital and come home. So they all turn up on a Friday night. All the kids turn up and I'm miserable. I'm unhappy with God. I had a hope and an expectation that didn't get fulfilled. And I have not read my Bible all through the week. I don't want to. I feel every time I look at it, I think, oh, no, I don't want to read it. But now the kids turn up. What are you going to do now? Well, I'm not going to stand up and say, oh, kids, I, you know, I preached about Jesus last year, but I'm not doing it anymore. No, no, because I went to hospital and I didn't get a healing and I'm very upset with Jesus. So you can all go home and watch TV. <laughs> I'm not going to do that. Oh, no way. I would open my Bible and I'd begin to explain it to them and the moment I did, there would be a little well of life springing up in here. Because see, Jesus still loved me and he hadn't gone anywhere. And as I'd speak to him, it was like a well of life in here. And for those next 20 minutes, I'd be in love with God and I'd, and I'd feel the communion and the love and the kindness and the mercy and then I'd finish and I'd close my Bible and pray for the kids and they'd go home and then I'd be like a little bear going backwards into my cave. And I'd retreat for the next seven days into my cave where I'd be miserable again. <laughs> Suck my thumb. Tell God I wasn't happy. Went on for nearly a year. It nearly destroyed my life in many ways. But I had a bottom rung. I am not going to damage these kids. 
Um, I don't understand it. He said, if I'd spoken out like that, I would have betrayed your children. That was my bottom rung. But when I tried to understand all this, it troubled me deeply until I entered the sanctuary of God. There's got to be a way through. You've got to find a way to uh, deal with your complaints. This guy had a complaint. His complaint is, I don't understand how a moral God doesn't kind of front up immoral people more quickly. Why didn't he beat the snot out of them? Why didn't he pour his blessings on me and beat the snot out of them? That's how it should be. He didn't understand it. But then he went into the sanctuary of God and God expanded his view of life. Till I entered the sanctuary of God and then I understood their final destiny. Surely you place them on slippery ground, he said. You cast them down to ruin. How suddenly are they destroyed, completely swept away like terrors by terrors. They're like a dream when one awakes. When you arise, Lord, you will despise them as fantasies. Do you know what he was really upset about? He was upset about God's patience. You see, he said, I don't understand why you don't act more quickly. You see, one of the things you will find disturbing about God if you walk with him all your life is that he is often very slow to act suddenly. He takes a lot of time to get around to that suddenly moment. A single day can change everything. A single moment can change everything. He's very slow in approaching that stuff. He doesn't mind working his way there at his own pace. And for those of us who are human beings who count nanoseconds and watch every second on our clock, on our watches, he feels, it just feels like he's often so slow. And right here, this guy says, I went into the sanctuary and I realized I, I've lost perspective here. You see, because God doesn't want to punish people the moment they sin. And aren't you glad about that? You see, we're really happy when God's patient with us. You see, if God had got hold of me and punished me for milk and petrol out of other people's tanks when I was in university, I wouldn't be here. <laughs> if God had decided to, to, to grab me by the scruff of the neck and deal with me when I was stealing my lunch from the university cafeteria every day, I wouldn't be here. Because he wasn't wanting to kill me. He was wanting to draw me to myself and therefore he had to suffer my stupidity while he kind of set up a scene to turn my entire life around. I'm so grateful. And this dude, dear dude here suddenly realized, you know what, I'm a miserable coot. God's being patient with these people. He doesn't deal with us instantly according to our mistakes, our failures, and sometimes our deliberate wickedness because it's not his desire for anyone to perish. And then when he's patient with other people, we can get upset. So oh, I, would, I would have sorted him out or her out way. Oh, no, I would have done that. In fact, give me the conch. I'll kill a few right now. <laughs> <clears throat> Jesus said something about that once. He said, a sower when a farmer went out and sowed wheat in his field and overnight the enemy came and sowed tares or weeds in amongst them. 
When they woke up in the morning, they find there's, here we are, there's weeds and wheat growing together. And the workers said, oh, what do you say we go out and pull the weeds up? Yeah, let's get them out of here. And the farmer said, no, don't do that. No, don't do that. Lest in pulling up weeds, you pull up wheat along with them. Because sometimes what looks like a weed could end up being the Apostle Paul. What looked like, you know, a really nasty piece of work could end up being Francis of Assisi. You have no idea what the Holy Spirit will do. Uh, anyone who's gone back and read the life of Augustine, the great Augustine, who was the pillar of the, one of the reasons why Western Christianity exists is because of the great Saint Augustine. Read his life up to about the age of 28. You think, why didn't God kill him? Because God loved him, that's why. And I don't know who you are, whether you come tonight, whether you're a person who walks with Jesus or you're living like the devil, but you need to know something that God is patient with people. Don't, don't presume that God's non-activity in that area means he's approving of what you do. He's patient, not wanting anyone to perish. And this dude got upset with the patience of God. Don't do that. Don't wipe God off because he's patient. He's patient with you as well. Now, for me, it was a little different. Um, what got this dude across the line and what helped him to reframe his perceptions was he went into the sanctuary and God expanded his view of life. So it's a bigger view of life. You've got to have a bigger view, mate. Look out into eternity. Realize God's not simply trying to make people happy. He's trying to share his kingdom and his life with them. So he'll be patient. For me, I went off to Bible college. Eventually, I got so dry. Oh, man. You know, it was that back thing that, gave, that I had a complaint against God. It went on for nearly a year. I got so dry. I remember getting up one Sunday morning before going to church, and I got down on my knees, and I said to God, I'm, I'm like an old stick. This complaint has robbed me of my life with you, and I don't want it to go on any longer. And I went to church that day, and they had a the whole service was about revival. No, the yeah, I need revival. They had an altar call. Who wants revival? Yeah, I want revival. Out I came. Next thing you know, they turned it into an altar call for Bible college. Well, hang on. That was, I came out here for revival. Yeah, yeah, that's Bible college. <clears throat> Suddenly, I was facing the question of a career change. Do I going to quit my teaching career and go to Bible college? It was being dry for that long that drove me to the extraordinary step of just deciding to quit my career and go to Bible college. Wow. Now I go into Bible college, I'm there with my wife and three children, and I realize I'm still not happy with God. I've got a complaint. And now I've burnt my bridges and I'm trusting you, and it's not a really good idea to have now pinned your life on God and be unhappy with Him. And I was there in Bible college in that first week, and I thought, I've got to get this sorted out. I went for a long walk on the farm, and, to, and I talked it out with God. I said to him, listen, you've got to know something. I'm not happy. I expected a miracle, and you didn't show up. I, did you not get the memo? Uh, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. If I hold on to this complaint, it will destroy my ability to trust you. And I just don't understand. I feel like that pastor. My daughter died. I don't understand. No, I don't. 
but this one thing I know, that I can't do life without you. Now, you'll have your own reasons, and one day I guarantee, I know you'll explain them. So I tell you what I'll do. I'm going to give you the benefit of the doubt. Now, I bet God was saying, oh, gee, that was close. <laughs> going to give me the benefit of the doubt. Angels were weeping. Oh, how moving. He's going to give God, the, they're probably laughing. What a joke. Gee, Al, you made everyone laugh up here. I said to God, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to take this experience, I'm going to put it in a box, and I'm going to mark it AFL, awaiting further light. But I will not let this be a stumbling block between you and me one more day. So here we go. I don't understand, but I have no one else but you. So here it goes. Up it goes on the shelf, awaiting further light. If you would like to talk to me about that at some stage, I'd really love an explanation. But if you never explain it to me, then I'm just going to say, well, um, I didn't get that one. But it's okay because I trust your goodness and your mercy. If you gave me Jesus, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting, everything has been given to me in him. I will just say, oh, I didn't get that one, but I refuse to see the rest of my journey damaged any longer. And I'm so glad I did. I would never have seen blind eyes open. I would never have had the privilege of watching the miracle of his leadership and his goodness. And his. I was moved to tears by that thing. His goodness, all my life, you have been faithful. And it all hung on that one moment when I felt like I just didn't understand. But that complaint could have ruined my life. I was like a beast. I was bitter and I was upset and I was grieved. The Bible says that was me. When my heart was grieved and my spirit was embittered, I was senseless and ignorant. I was like a brute beast before you. Well, what does God think about people who have a complaint? Ah, you miserable coot. Give you Jesus and look at you. No, 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 no. Walk around with complaint, complain, complain, complain. I'm sick of it. It's not how God feels. Listen to the heart of God. Nevertheless, I am always with you. You hold me by my right hand. You guide me with your counsel. And afterwards you will take me into glory. For whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire, desire beside you. My flesh and my heart may fail me, but God is the strength of my life and my portion forever. What's your complaint been? Did you lose a child? You lose a marriage? You lose a job? You lose a house? You lose a business? Do you feel like an opportunity came and went and you didn't understand? You feel like you, someone spoke evil about you and ruined your reputation and it's damaged your life and you don't get it why God doesn't kill them? What's your complaint? Tonight's a night to take something and stick it in a box and label it AFL. So I'll tell you what the essence of faith is. Corrie Ten Boom said this, faith is trusting God when life has given you a reason not to. 
Faith is trusting the goodness of God when life has given you a reason not to. And I promise you this, if tonight you are willing to deal with a complaint, it's been like a burr under your saddle. It has disturbed you and upset you. And each time you come to believe and try to lean into faith, that, that complaint acts like a, an irritant. To deal with it by trusting again will be the finest moment in your life. When you finally stand in the presence of God, you'll think the time that you preached great was the fine moment. Or the time that you did some great act of mercy was your greatest moment. No. Like Job, the greatest moments in your life were when you trusted him, when life had given you a reason not to. They will be the medals that you will wear in eternity. Will you bow your heads with me tonight? <clears throat> it wouldn't be possible to bring all these people together and have no one sitting here with a burr under their saddle. <clears throat> Is that you? Jesus said, blessed are those that mourn, they shall be comforted. If you've had a burr under your saddle, and tonight you, would, you just want to get past it, you don't understand. You don't see the reason. You don't seem just or fair or right or whatever. But you want to get past it. I just want you to lift your hand right where you are. You know it, you know it. You know you've got a burr under your saddle. It's like a little irritant. It disturbs you. Yeah. I've had to survive mine. And because I'm a survivor, I'm here to help you. In your mind, I want you to see that, that burr stuck in a bottle or a box. You take it. You don't understand it. Stick it in a box. Mark it awaiting further light. And then make a decision. You're going to hand it back to Jesus and say, if ever you'd like to talk to me about this, I'd love to hear from you. But if you never do, from this moment, I declare, I'm stepping past my complaint. I am going to trust you, even though life gave me a reason not to. I choose to trust your goodness. All my life, you've been faithful. Oh God, don't let this disrupt our relationship. Father, I lift my hands in prayer over this people. And today I pray your spirit could go to those hearts that have been troubled by a contradiction. Consider him who endured such contradiction, Jesus, and yet never had a complaint against his father. Embrace a free heart tonight. Hand it back and say, it's okay. It's okay. It's okay. In Jesus' name, I commit this people into your hands. Amen. God bless you. 
Thank you for listening to this week's podcast from Faith Christian Church. To stay up to date, check us out at our website, faithcc.com.au.